Well, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> Go ahead and find your seat if you don't mind. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, like Corey said, um, thanks for being here, especially if you're a guest with us. Uh, we're thankful that you decided to start the, the year off with us here at First Baptist Church. I, I believe there's no better place to be at the beginning of the year. Uh, but I'm, my name's Craig Warner. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I do just want to say uh, a happy new year. Uh, to all of you. I do love this time of year, and uh, whether you're into the resolutions or setting goals or not, the new year, at least to me, is just a good time for, uh, for a fresh start. Uh, and I got to attend uh, Mission Focus this past week for a couple of days. Uh, that's down at Midtown Baptist Temple in Kansas City, uh, Missouri. Our very own Pastor Jeff Bartell was one of the main speakers down there. I uh, got to hear him. He did an awesome job, as usual, and uh, be praying for a lot of those folks. They're headed home. They were supposed to head home yesterday. A uh, big uh, snowstorm hit the area, and so uh, Jeff's flight was canceled, so he's supposed to be flying back tonight, and a bunch of people traveling on the road, that type of thing. So be praying for them, but uh, it was an incredible time to be down there. They do uh, a great job hosting a conference. Uh, I do want to say thanks to Pastor Sam Miles and the whole team at Midtown, as well as Harvest Baptist Church with Alan Shelby uh, and Dan, um, excuse me, uh, yep, Dan Renault at Living Faith Lee Summit. Um, they all had a part in, in hosting the conference um, down there. And so uh, I believe that God used that in my life to kind of prepare me for this, for this coming year. And I'd encourage all of you, if you've uh, never uh, attended Mission Focus or one of the other Living Faith conferences, uh, to be sure to check one out. If, if, if at the very least, uh, you can go to lffellowship.com and find the, uh, the messages there. And so make sure you do that because, um, like I said, I do love this time of the year and uh, I do believe it gives us an excuse to be intentional about the next 12 months. And, and I believe the Lord used that in my life, uh, Mission Focus in my life, and I pray he can do that in yours as well. But... Um, as I've been preparing for this Sunday the last several weeks, I was thinking, what's something that God would want from me uh, and for our church uh, as we head into this next year? And so as I was praying and studying, I believe that God um, gave me a, uh, what I would consider a, a succinct, well-alliterated three-point outline for us today as we head into the new year, and lo and behold, um, God gave Corey, a succinct, well-alliterated three-point outline as we head into the new year last week. Um, and, uh, and I thought it was great. I really do. If you, if you weren't here, you need to make sure you check that out. We, we need to consider the cost of what it means to be a, a true disciple of Christ as we head into 2022. And while he was teaching, I noticed that there might be um, a little overlap in our messages. And... Um, you know, I don't. I don't think that's. A, I don't think that's a bad thing. I just assume that there's at least one of you out there um, living in sin, and you need to. You need to hear from God, and so He's got a, another word, another word for you as we head into the into the new year. So make sure you're listening. All right. Uh, don't worry. There will be plenty of differences between our messages. Perhaps uh, the biggest difference is that last week, uh, Corey was wearing a suit, and he looked very handsome. Um, I'm lucky I got my shirt tucked in this morning, um, but yeah, Corey and I are wearing like the FBC staff uniform this morning, uh, and he still looks better than I do, <clears throat> but I've got a microphone this week, so, um, but man, I can't believe that was, that was just last week when he was preaching. It feels like it was a year ago. I'm sorry, I'm really, 
I know, that's all right. I expected that one, okay? I did, I ended on that one. I'm sorry for that last joke, okay? But um, let's get into our message today, okay? Um, that, that, that bad dad joke was just my transition. That's all I got, so. But, um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Micah, the book of Micah in your Old Testament, chapter six. Uh, it's a little book. Uh, it's tucked away in there, so if you need to go to the table of contents in the front of your Bible first, that's all right. Uh, to find it, I'll give you a minute to, to turn to, to Micah chapter 6. And uh, just to give you a little historical background, as we do, uh, this is very truncated. There's obviously a lot going on. Uh, but Micah was a prophet. Uh, he was a prophet of God to Judah in the midst of a, a corrupt culture. Okay, He was a man of God in the midst of a corrupt culture. Does it sound, sound familiar at all? Uh, we, have a, we have a job to, to declare the truth of the Lord, and, uh, and we're living in a a corrupt culture, uh, just, just like it is today. Uh, the book can be organized into three parts. There's the coming judgment. So Micah's giving them a warning of the coming judgment of God because of their disobedience to the Lord. Uh, but he also gives them um, the hope of a promised blessing. Uh, and then he gives them a plead for repentance because that's how they, they, they get that then. So, and that's the portion that we're in today. So the last portion of the book of Micah is, is this plead for repentance and we begin chapter 6 with uh, what some would call a, a courtroom scene, okay? Um, so nature is called in to serve as the witnesses to God's goodness to the Jews. God pleads his case uh, and reminds them of how he's rescued and redeemed them from Egypt, how they've seen his righteousness as they wandered through the wilderness, and then man answers God with a response of these questions, and that's where we're going to pick up this morning in Micah chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 6 through 8, okay? So just follow along with me there in your Bible, and then just keep your Bible open there because we'll keep referring back to, to verse 8 as we jump around to a bunch of other verses that should be on the screen, okay? Uh, so Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, so again, Christ is pleading, his, or the Lord is pleading his case to the, to the Israelites, and then they begin to respond, and they say, wherewithal shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before the high God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then verse 8, they get an answer. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, if you notice here, the requirement for the sacrifices that, that they're asking about, it keeps growing, right? So they say, should I bow before the Lord? Should I bring him a burnt offering? And then they get to these like outrageous, outrageous offerings. Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or ten thousands rivers of oil? And then they jump to this horrible idea. They jump to offering their children as a sacrifice, which was not only wrong, but it was actually forbidden by God in Scripture. And then the prophet replies and tells the people what God wants from them. And it's not some impossible sacrifice. It's not some enormous effort on our part to offer some ridiculous gift. But Micah says, God has shown you, oh man, he answers them, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. 
Now, if we stop for a second, we would remember that um, we would remember that for the Old Testament saint, the Lord did require a sacrifice. He required a sacrifice of blood of an animal on the altar for the people's sin, and he required it uh, regularly. He required it yearly. But praise God that as a New Testament believer, our sacrifice has been made once and for all. Our sins were not simply covered by an animal on an altar, but they were taken away completely by the sacrifice of the spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross. I love how Hebrews 10 puts it. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He's pointing back to the Old Testament in this economy that the Old Testament saint had where they had to daily be offering sacrifices for the sins of the people. And then back to verse 12, but this man, Jesus Christ, that he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. He sat down because the sacrifice was made and the work was done. There was no other sacrifice that could compare to the one that Christ made for us on the cross. I bring this up because we're looking at an Old Testament passage today, uh, and that had a different doctrinal application for its intended audience. And since we're living as New Testament believers, we must look at the devotional application for us. You see, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the Lord no longer requires a sacrifice of blood from you. That was already taken out on his son, Jesus Christ, that has forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't, well, you still need to make that sacrifice your own. But he no longer requires a sacrifice of blood. What he requires is a sacrifice of service from your life. And that's the title of our message this morning, a sacrifice of service. We see this in Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And this is one of the things that Corey touched on last week. But once we have entered into that relationship with God, he wants us to live our lives as a sacrifice in service to him. He says it's our reasonable service. It's not exceptional. It's not above and beyond to live as a sacrifice to the Lord. It's, it's reasonable. It's the least that he deserves, isn't it? But here's where our application to the passage for us today intersects with our spiritual forefathers in the Old Testament because even back then, in the economy of the law, with the requirement of sacrifice, God has always desired a service of sacrifice. He's always desired service over sacrifice. We see this in Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Sound familiar? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. And this principle is seen all throughout Scripture, and that is that obedience is greater than sacrifice. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. 
Jeremiah 7, 22 through 23, For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. Okay, he's like, this isn't what I, I talked to them about when I, when I uh, rescued them from Egypt. Verse 23, But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. And walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. For Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. So as we head into the new year, let us take heart, Micah 6, 8, and apply it practically and live a life of sacrifice and service to the Lord. We'll take a look at three clear, clear areas found in our key verse today of how we can do that. Uh, but first, let's ask the Lord to teach us today through his word and guide us into the next year. Let's pray. Lord, we do come to you this morning. And uh, we do um, love being here together. We love worshiping you. We love hearing from your word. And so, Lord, I pray that that's exactly what would happen today as we uh, kick off this new year of 2022. That uh, you would be glorified. You would be worshiped through our song, uh, and through our study today. Uh, and Lord, I pray that your word would, would speak, that it would do the work this morning, and uh, it would teach us, it would guide us, uh, and it would change us. And so Lord, we pray that we would be open to any, uh, any lesson that you have for us from, uh, from the book of Micah this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so let's get back to our key verse this morning. Let's take a look at it again, Micah 6, 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And so this is a very simple verse, uh, but I think it's something that we can practice daily this next year to make sure that whatever God is trying to do in and through our lives, uh, he'll be able to do it. And so if we approach the Lord with these three things, if we're obedient in these three things, I do believe that, that God will use us uh, in a big way. They may seem simple, they may seem small, but um, that's how we get to where we're going, all right? Uh, so in 2022, let us serve God, number one, through our actions, through our actions. Micah 6, 8 says that we should do justly. Do justly the things that we do, our actions. Let's serve God through our actions. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That's because obedience is greater than sacrifice. To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So what does that mean? What does it mean to do justly? Well, it's simple. You just do what is right. You do what is right. Isaiah is a contemporary to Micah, um, so where Isaiah would kind of be a more uh, formal prophet to what was going on during that time, Micah is like a, is like a good old boy from like the country, he, he lived outside of town, so he's a little, a little simpler, so that's why I chose Micah instead of Isaiah, a little easier for me to get, he's like, look, just do these three things, guys, you can't mess it up, all right? But if you, if you were to look at Isaiah, you would see some similarities. You would see how um, God is teaching the same thing. And, and Isaiah 26, 7 says, The way of the just is uprightness. Thou most upright dost weigh the, uh, weigh the path of the just. Okay, So to do justly is to, to do what's right. 
The way of the just is uprightness. It's just do the right thing. We saw this verse a couple of minutes ago, but God is telling Israel, listen, just do what is right. Back to Jeremiah 7, 21 through 23. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people. Walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. So when, when the Lord tells us to do justly, he's telling us to do what is right. And how do we know what the right thing to do is? Well, he, he spells it out for us in his word, right? He tells the nation of Israel to obey my voice. Walk in all the ways that I have commanded you. God has given us his voice and his words. He has given us his commandments in this book. And so if we want to know what the right thing to do is, it's simple. Just do what the word of God says. Do what the word of God says. Again, in Isaiah, we see this concept that obedience is greater than sacrifice. Isaiah 1, 11 through 17. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity. If you don't approach God with the right heart, he considers it sin to him. Even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. He is against it. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Do justly. Do what is right. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. We see in this passage that God is not interested in what you're willing to sacrifice if you're not living right, if you're not doing the right thing. It means nothing to him. Not only that, it says that he hates it. When God hates something, it just means he's actively against it. He hates it. Because it's not what he desires. It's not what he desires from our life. It's not what he wants from our life. He wants a sacrifice of service. You can make sacrifices in your life without doing justly. Right? You can write big checks on Sundays and put them in the offering plate and go the rest of the week and live however you want. God is not pleased with that. God is not pleased with that. There are entire religions built on these empty traditions or vain repetitions. You mess up and some priest tells you to repeat some prayer some arbitrary amount of times, but there's no life change. You don't suddenly begin to do justly. All that has happened is that your guilt has been eased until your next confession. This is not what, this is not what God wants. As we already saw, Jesus has paid for those sins. His sacrifice is enough. What God wants from us now is to do justly, to live the right way. Besides, more than any of these sacrifices or offering, what God wants from you is to cease to do evil, learn to do well. That's what we saw in Isaiah. Cease to do evil, learn to do well. Stop doing the wrong thing, start doing the right thing. And you'll find that there's this balance to doing justly over and over. It continues to pop up. 
Psalms 34, 14. Depart from evil, and then you balance it with doing good. Stop doing the wrong thing, start doing the right thing. Amos 5.15, hate the evil, love the good. Romans 12.9, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. 1 Peter 3.11, let him eschew evil and do good. Separate yourself from doing the wrong thing and start to do the good thing, the right thing. In children's ministry, we teach your kids that sin is anything, does anybody know this, that we... Think, say, or do that goes against God, all right? I'm going to repeat it. Sin is, that's how it works in children's ministry. Sin is anything that we think, say, or do that goes against God. We can see all three of these in this next passage, as well as how to balance them and how to balance each area, all right? Ephesians 4, 25 through 29. Wherefore? Putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. We see the balance there. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that steal, or excuse me, let him that stole, steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may give to him that needeth. 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Everything that you think, say, and do, do it justly. In all these verses, we're admonished to start doing what we know we should be doing and to stop doing what we know we should stop doing. You know what we call that? We call that virtue. We call that virtue. Second Peter 1, and this is a class that we offer in our ministry tools and training classes. You'll hear all about it, right? But virtue is very simple. After our faith, we're supposed to add one thing to that, and then it continues to build. But that thing that we add is virtue. Stop doing the wrong thing. Start doing the right thing, as it's defined in Scripture for us. This, is a simple con- uh, this, this concept is simple yet salient because the things that we do are noticed by others, right? What's the old saying? Actions. Speak louder than words. What we do is noticed by others. They also, they also notice what we're saying too, but I'm just saying for the point, okay? We're talking about our actions. And it's for good or for bad. So if we're doing evil, people are going to notice. If we're doing the right thing, people are going to notice. And that's because our actions impact our testimony. Our actions impact our testimony. Our testimony is our reputation we have with other people. Colossians 4, 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Okay, so there's someone that's outside of the church, outside of a relationship with God. We need to walk in wisdom toward them, right, so we have a blameless testimony to them, redeeming the time. 1 Thessalonians four twelve That ye may walk honestly toward them that are without. Right, so we need to walk in wisdom We need to walk honestly because the way that we walk in this world is a testimony to others and they'll see how we're living through that. And if we're serving God with our actions, then we're going to have a good testimony to them that are without. 1 Peter 2.12, having your conversation or your life, your lifestyle, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. So this is obviously written to the nation of Israel, but 
for our application today, we can view them, uh, Gentiles, as an unbeliever, someone who is outside of a relationship with God. So we need to have our conversation honest among them. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, so the things that you do, your actions, which they shall behold, what are they going to end up doing? They're going to glorify God in the day of visitation. Serve God with your actions because they impact your testimony. Our actions establish our testimony not just with the lost world but also among the brethren. If you're truly concerned with doing justly, you will have a good testimony both inside and outside the church. You can fake it, but if you're for real, then you'll do what we see in 1 Thessalonians 2.10. You are witnesses in God also how holily and justly and unblameably we, what, we behaved the way that we acted the things that we did. We behaved ourselves among you that believe, among our brothers and sisters. And here's what doing justly will do. Doing justly will give us a reputation of righteousness. It will give us a reputation of righteousness. But here's what you have to understand. That doesn't mean that everyone's gonna treat you right. All right? So heading into this next year, don't expect, you know, just doing these three simple things, everything's going to be great. Because when you have a, a, a reputation of righteousness, not everyone is going to treat you right. 1 Peter 3, 16 through 17. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse you, excuse your, uh, accuse your good conversation in Christ. So people are still going to accuse you of things. But here's the thing, make sure they're not rightfully accusing you. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing the things that you do, for doing justly, than for evil-doing. Make sure you're living in a way that if you suffer, when you suffer, it's because you're doing what's right, not because you're doing what's wrong. Don't give them, don't give them a, a way to justify their accusations against you. All right, so as we head into 2022, let us serve God through our actions by doing justly. And then the next point, Roman numeral number two. In 2022, let us serve God with our affections. With our affections. We do that by loving mercy. Back to Micah 6.8. To do justly, to love mercy. Now, there are a lot of things that are vying for our affection these days, aren't there? A lot of things after it. There are also a lot of things that we already say that we love. I love my family. I love my church. I just got back from Kansas City a couple days ago, and I love barbecue. <laughs> Listen, it's biblical. Genesis 27.4. Write that down. Genesis 27.4. Look it up. Not right now. Let's stay focused, right? But look it up. It's biblical. But the idea is when we love something, we're passionate about it, right? We long for it. We desire it. And we need, to, we need to love mercy. And again, to continue with our theme that obedience is greater than sacrifice, let's look at Hosea 6, verse 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, speaking of barbecue, if that verse said burnt ends, we'd be talking about 
something a little different. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you had burnt ends from, barbecue burnt ends from Kansas City? Okay. It might read a little different, if they, but it's burnt offerings. Okay, that's, that's, that's not what we're talking about. Enough about food, guys. I'm getting hungry. Let's stay focused, okay? But we continue to see that though there was something the Lord required from his people, there is something that he desires from us even more because God loves mercy. He loves mercy. Look at how Jesus responded to the Pharisees who despised mercy when he desired mercy. In uh, the book of Matthew or New Testament, chapter 9, 9 through 13. And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom, and he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat. Man, food just keeps popping up in this section. Uh, And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Uh, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, uh uh-oh, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees wanted what was due the sinners. They wanted what was due the sinners. They wanted them rebuked. They wanted them judged. They wanted them condemned. But Jesus showed them mercy because Jesus loves mercy. There's something in us as humans with our sinful nature that loves to see other people get what they deserve, right? It's always someone else that we can't wait to see what's coming to them, to get what's coming to them, but it's never us, right? We never want to see what's coming to us. We always want to see it in someone else's, someone else's life. We love it when we catch a break and mercy plays out in our lives, which we certainly, we certainly should be, right? Praise the Lord for it. But if we truly love mercy, then we'll love to see it in someone else's life as well, in others' lives. Because when you only want to see it played out in your life, that's not loving mercy. You know what that is? That's just love and self, right? That's just love and self. But if we truly love mercy, then we won't just be thankful when we see it in our lives. But if we truly love mercy, we'll we'll rejoice when we see it in others' lives. I must confess, I enjoy watching fail videos on YouTube. (laughs) And it's partly because I get satisfaction from watching someone do something stupid, like skateboard off a roof, and then get what they deserve, like a ride in an ambulance. All right, so this is obviously an area that I need to work on. Because when you love mercy, listen to this, when you love mercy, you hope against due justice, D-U-E. You hope against due justice. Look at it in James 2, 13. For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Mercy rejoices against judgment. Mercy is rooting against people getting what they deserve. Mercy rejoices against judgment, right? Because the the right thing for someone who does something dumb is to suffer the the consequences, 
right? Someone who does something wrong, judgment would say that they need to be punished for it. But you know what mercy does? Mercy rejoices against judgment. When people don't get what they deserve, mercy rejoices. Think about what we deserve, right? Didn't you rejoice when you realized that you didn't get what you deserved for your sin? Justice and judgment declared you guilty and sentenced you to death, but because God loves mercy, he offers us new life. We might call that grace. Grace and mercy go hand in hand. They're two sides to the same coin. You probably heard them defined this way uh, before, that mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, condemnation, punishment, judgment, and grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, forgiveness, salvation, everlasting life. And we see both these things in this next passage, both mercy and grace. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 9. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right? That's what we deserve. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle, in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4. But... God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. And man, if that is not the extreme example of grace and mercy, then I don't know what is. When we love something, we seek it out. We will sacrifice for it. So when we love mercy, we will ultimately desire to see it in others' lives, not concerned with us getting what we think that we deserve and not hoping that everyone gets what's coming to them, but when we love mercy, we will prefer others before ourselves. That's what Christ did for us. He sacrificed himself for us so that we wouldn't get what we deserved. And that's because he loves us and he loves mercy. You see, the things that have our affection are the things that you will prefer. You will place first in your life the things that you love and you can tell what a person prefers based on what they love. If they love self, then life will be all about self. But if they love others then life becomes all about others. And so our affections identify our preferences. Our affections identify our preferences. So what should we prefer? What should have our affection? Well, let's take a look. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, right? This desire for mercy, this love for mercy. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another 
and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You see, if you love mercy, then your affection is focused outward toward one another. And when our affection is on others, then you prefer them above yourself. You place them before yourself. This goes for our enemies. Luke 6, 35 through 36. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, right? Getting what we deserve. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Loving mercy means that we love our enemies. But sometimes what's even harder than that is that loving mercy means that we love our brothers when they're difficult to love. Family has a way of making love hard sometimes, right? Because they hurt us more than than we would expect. We expect it from our enemies, but sometimes our own brothers do it. But if we love mercy, we're going to love our brothers. 1 John 3, 16 through 17. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion. We saw bowels of mercy earlier. earlier, This bowels of compassion, this desire, this love for compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? Right? You can't say you love God and, and hate your brother, despise your brother. When we love mercy, it will give us a concern for compassion. Loving mercy will give us a concern for compassion. We will no longer be concerned with someone else's guilt or making sure that justice is served. We don't take pleasure in seeing someone get what they deserve, but instead we concern ourselves with compassion, with preference for others, because we love mercy. 1 Peter 3, 8-9. Finally, Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, right? In other words, don't give others what they deserve. That's judgment. That's judgment. That's justice. But mercy rejoices against judgment. But contrary-wise, so the opposite of that, we're going to show mercy. Blessing, knowing that ye are there unto call, that ye should inherit a blessing. Right? You know that you've been shown mercy. And so show mercy to others. Let's be concerned with compassion. Let's desire it. Let's seek it out. Let's sacrifice for it. Right? Let's give up our own concerns, our own desires, to make sure that we, we see it in the lives of others. And then when we do see it, let's rejoice over it. Let's rejoice. So we're going to serve God this next year through our actions. We're going to serve God this next year with our affections. And then number three, in 2022, let us serve God in our attitude. In our attitude as we walk humbly. Again, we see that this is something that God desires more than sacrifice. Psalms 51 16 through 17. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. 
Thou delightest not in burnt offering. And here's, here's what the Lord wants to see. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, a sorrowful, humbled heart. O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Right? When we come before God with humility, that's what he wants. That's what he'll accept. We saw earlier this morning that God got to the point where he hated the offerings and the sacrifices of his people. He despised them. But we see here that God won't despise brokenness. He won't despise humbleness. We see this very thing literally explained in a parable by Jesus in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, 9 through 14, it says, And he spake a parable unto certain which, look at this, trusted in themselves. Right? They weren't walking humbly. That doesn't sound very humble. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And what they do? They despised others. Verse 10, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes all that I possess. What are those? Those are sacrifices and offerings. The Pharisee is counting on his sacrifices for his justification. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. You know why? Because he's got a broken spirit. But smote upon his breast. You know why? Because he's got a contrite heart. Saying, God be what? Merciful to me. We've seen that. God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. We know that the opposite of humility is what? It's pride. And it's clear here that the ones that Christ was speaking to and the Pharisee in the story, they were full of it. And when pride sneaks into our lives, it begins to to creep through the rest of us like a spiritual disease, slowly inhibiting our walk with God. We're, we're talking about walking humbly. Look at Daniel 4, 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgments, and those that walk in, what? Pride. He is able to abase. They're not walking humbly. They're walking in Pride. When we fail to walk humbly, we begin to walk in pride. Pride takes root, and it begins to harden us spiritually. We no longer become sensitive to the Spirit in our lives. And when that happens, we stop walking with God. We can see its progression in the following verses, and I think this is really interesting, so I want you guys to try to track with me here, okay? But first, instead of walking humbly, we walk in pride, and pride begins to harden our minds, Daniel 5.20. Just the next, uh, the next chapter from where we were just reading. Speaking of Nebuchadnezzar. And when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. You see, we must protect our mind because when pride gets in there and we start thinking we need more than we already have, we desire more than we actually deserve, we believe that we're better than we actually are, pride has snuck into our mind. And once our mind is hardened by pride, it makes its way down. It creeps through our spiritual bodies. 
down to our necks. 2 Kings 17, 14. Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers and did not believe in the Lord their God. Our necks represent our will. When we're faced with the truth of God, we can bow our necks in submission to him or we can stiffen our necks in pride. Jeremiah 19, 15, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks that they might not hear my words. Once pride has hardened our necks, it's characteristic that we will not obey God's word. And when we get to that point in our relationship with him, pride just keeps on going, and it makes its way into our hearts goes from our mind to our necks to our heart. Second Chronicles 36, 13. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. Man, this guy keeps popping up when we're talking about pride, huh? Maybe we should pay attention. Who had made him swear by God, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. This is a dangerous place to be. God can certainly do anything. But once a heart is hardened by pride... It may never turn to God in this life again. So again, we see this progression of pride in our lives. Instead of walking humbly, we end up walking in pride, which leads to a hardened mind. A hardened mind leads to a hardened neck, and a hardened neck leads to a hardened heart. And before you know it, the sin of pride has made its way uh, from our walk to our heart, and you have been deceived. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is tricky like that. It starts with a simply not walking humbly. And before we know it, we're walking in pride. And then our mind is hardened by pride. And then sin seeps its way down into our necks, and our necks are hardened with pride, and then it ultimately gets to our heart. And before we know it, we've been deceived by sin and our walk has stopped because we're too spiritually hardened to walk with the Lord. Our attitude affects how we view ourselves, others, and God. And when we walk in pride, we're all about serving ourselves, right? But if we walk humbly, we're all about serving others. And so we see that our attitude influences our service. Our attitude influences our service. Pride effectively removes us from ministry. The best example I can give is Lucifer. We know him today as Satan. He had the ultimate ministry of eternity past, didn't he? Leading the heavenly hosts in worship to God. Until pride made its way in. In his attitude about himself influenced his service to God. It removed him from it. Because pride is concerned all about me, right? And service, service is the opposite of selfishness. Service is all about others. And so what, what happens when you walk humbly, when you have an attitude of humbleness and humility, it puts you in a position to serve others, Pride removes you from that influence, from that position, but humility puts you in a position to serve others. And again, the greatest 
example here is Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 2 through 8. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, pride, but in lowliness of mind. It's humility. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Let not every man, or excuse me, look not every man on his own things, selfishness, but every man also on the things of others, service. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Here he is, our example. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, humility, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And again, if that's not walking humbly, then I don't know what is. Christ humbling himself put him in the position to serve us. Think about it. He could not have done what he did for us on the cross on this earth from his throne in heaven. Because in order to serve someone, in order to minister to them, you must lower yourself and put them above you. We see that was Christ's whole reason for coming. Right? We just celebrated Christmas. Christ came to this earth as a baby. Why? Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. God the Son humbled himself and he walked among us as a man because walking humbly will give you a mindset for ministry. Walking humbly will give us a mindset for ministry. Romans 12, 3-5 For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think That's pride, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. We're to serve each other. Don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think, but instead get a mindset for ministry and serve one another as members of one another. Servanthood is the foundation of Christ's kingdom. We see how this is set up in Matthew 20, 25 through 27. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. Right? You know how it works in the world. If you're in charge, if you're high up, then you exercise your authority over people. That's how you get ahead. That's how you become great. Look in verse 26. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Don't sit out on the work of the Lord, church. Don't miss it this next year. Get involved in ministry. Start serving. If you show up week in and week out and give your regular tithes and the occasional offerings, but you make excuses when it comes to evangelizing your neighbor, or you sit out of edifying your brothers and sisters, or you're too busy to equip disciples of Jesus Christ, and stay home. 
and keep your money. You think that regular attendance and minimal buy-in is reasonable for your church membership? But remember, presenting your life on the altar of service is what's acceptable and reasonable to God. God does not want your sacrifices and offerings. He desires your obedience. He desires a sacrifice of service, and after all that God has done for us, he deserves it. So don't miss out on ministry this next year. Let us serve God in 2022 by doing justly with our actions, by loving mercy with our affections, and by walking humbly with our attitude. As we wrap this up, let's look at our key verse one last time. Micah 6.8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. As we look at this verse, there's something that's clear to me. Everything required from us in this verse has to do with other people. Doing justly establishes our testimony with others. Loving mercy expresses our preference for others. Walking humbly engages our service to others. And as we look at the last three words of this verse, it's all made possible if we walk with thy God. Those two aspects of what is good and what is required of us in this next year with others and with God can be summed up in what we call the great commandment, loving God and loving others. And to stick with our theme of obedience being greater than sacrifice today, let's look at how it's worded in Mark 12, verse 33. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. So in 2022, do what is right. Love what is good. And let's get to work. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and as everyone's bowing their heads this morning, let me just talk to, to you here that maybe you're new to the church. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've never applied Christ's sacrifice to your life. Maybe you've been trusting in some form of religion that expects you to do something to gain and to keep a relationship with God. Maybe you just think that as long as you do enough good things in your life, you'll make your way to heaven. Can I lovingly tell you today that those things are rejected by God when it comes to saving you from an eternity separated from him in a place that we call hell? The only way to receive forgiveness for your sins is by placing your faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice on the cross. You can do that right where you are. Or if you want to talk to someone, there will be people down here while we sing this last song and you can come down and, and talk to one of us and we can explain what that means to, to place your faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And, and I pray that that's what you would do today if you haven't already. No better way to start off the new year than with a right and new relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
God, I pray that that is exactly what happens today. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, that's been trusted in their good works or their sacrifices, that they would realize that the only sacrifice you accept is, is your son, Jesus Christ, and that they would place their faith in that. For those of us here this morning, Lord, that have already done that, Lord, I pray that this next year our lives would be characterized as a sacrifice of service to you. I pray that what we heard from your word today would um, be in our minds as we head through this next year, uh, that we would do justly, that we would love mercy, and that we would walk humbly with you, that we would fulfill your great commandment to love you and to love others. And so, uh, God, we need your help to do it. Uh, when we walk away from you, pride gets in, and we get concerned with ourselves, and we lose focus of of what you're trying to do in us and through us. And so I pray that that wouldn't happen this next year, Lord. Lord, again, we thank you for our time together today. And uh, we love you. Amen.